Currency Press is Australia's foremost publisher of the performing arts. We've been sharing Australian stories since 1971, and we've always believed in theatre that raises more questions than answers. That's why we're sitting down with some of the country's most respected playwrights and talking to them about their work. One play, 30 minutes, straight from the source. Hello, I'm Toby Leon, and this is Not In Print. Alana Valentine is one of Australia's most renowned and respected playwrights. Her work for the stage includes Grounded, Cyberbile, Run Rabbit Run, Parramatta Girls, Eyes to the Floor, Watermark, Swimming the Globe, The Conjurers, Coming Home Soon, Dead Man Break, Singing the Lonely Heart and Savage Grace. Her writing has been awarded many times, including the Queensland and New South Wales Premier's Awards, five Orgy Awards, including the inaugural David Williamson Prize, and the Major Orgy in 2013, the Rodney Seaborns Playwrights Award, a residency at the Banff Playwrights Conference in Canada, the ANPC New Dramatists Award, a Churchill Fellowship, a Centenary Medal, and an International Writing Fellowship at Shakespeare's Globe Theatre in London. In 2012, she won the prestigious Stage Award, judged by Pulitzer Prize-winning playwrights and Nobel laureates, for her play, Ear to the Edge of Time. At the heart of Shafana and Aunt Serena is the relationship between an aunt, Serena, and her niece, Shafana. Both devout Muslims, the younger woman wants to put on a headscarf, the older woman tries to dissuade her. For Serena, the hijab represents a world from which she has escaped. For her niece, Shafana, it is a personal statement of renewed faith. So what do you do when you profoundly disagree with someone you love? In Shafana and Aunt Serena, the cultural meaning of the hijab has become a wedge between generations. Alana, welcome to Not In Print. Thank you, Toby. It's been over 40 years since Alex Buzo wrote Norman Ahmed. It's about a rather ochre, white Australian male who encounters a well-mannered Pakistani student with revolutionary ambitions in a Sydney park at midnight. The play presents race prejudice as a profoundly irrational force in the behaviour of ordinary Australians. Now, after Buzo passed away in 2006, his daughter, Emma, launched the Alex Buzo Company. The company's first production was Norman Ahmed. Then three years later, the company staged Norman Ahmed again, but this time it was part of a double bill with Shafana and Aunt Serena, which Emma Buzo commissioned you to write as a companion piece to her father's work. In what ways do you see Shafana and Aunt Serena being a companion piece to Norman Ahmed? Well, what struck me about Alex's play was it it was an attempt and a very rare attempt at that time in the theatre and a, a wonderful way to make Australians look at their actual attitude towards race. There'd been a sense that it was kind of comfortable and the fair go and all of that and Buzo very courageously sort of, you know, stuck pins in that. And I wanted to see, well, where is the controversy today? What is the parallel way of, of doing that to Australians today? And I suppose my feeling was that I didn't want to write Shafana and Sheila. <laughs> I didn't want to write a play about 
us and them in the way that Alex had looked at that. Because I suppose I felt that by now, by 2009, there was no us and them. There is only many different kinds of us. And what interests me and has interested me for some time as a playwright is conflict within community. The most interesting thing for me is when people within a community disagree about fundamental and really, you know, life and death important things, that's when I find that that's really, for me, drama because the stakes in that are so much higher. So when I interviewed Makiz Ansari and she said to me, you know, my strongest opponent to putting on the hijab was my aunts, then I thought, oh, this is a play. This is a companion piece to Buzo because it looks at where we've come to now that people making choices about how they identify themselves can be opposed within their own community. So for me, that's why it's a companion piece. It looks at what's happening now. I also was very conscious that that was two men. I wanted to have two women. There's a cigarette being smoked all the way through um, Norman Ahmed, whereas in my play, there's cooking. So it's that kind of, that's a really ugly, horrible smell, whereas the cooking is a really beautiful domestic kind of smell. And so there's all kinds of parallels that that, um, people would find if they look for them. Now, before we talk about the research that you undertook for Shafana and Aunt Serena, I'd like to talk to you about your general definition of verbatim theatre. Tell me how you'd describe a verbatim work to someone who had never heard the term before. <laughs> well, I'm asked about this a lot, and um, the thing for me, people think about verbatim in the strict literal sense of it, word for word, uh, meaning that we often use transcripts of oral interviews. And there is that kind of verbatim, I call that pure verbatim, and there's usually a reason why you want to use pure verbatim. Generally, to me, it's to do with people have an idea of how a certain group of people in society speak, and you want to show that they they don't speak like that or you want to challenge that. So you use their their transcripts word for word. So that's a form of verbatim. I call verbatim the kind of verbatim I do and the way in which the form has mutated and grown in the last sort of 10 or 15 years, um, massaged verbatim because I feel like it's drawn from real life. It sticks to the spirit and the integrity and the authenticity of the community you're writing about, but it doesn't always have to be word for word. And then the third thing that I always throw in, which is something which other people who define verbatim may not talk about, but others do, is you have a relationship, a continuing relationship with the community from which the piece is drawn. So you don't go in, take the words and run, as it were, you actually work to find a way for them to still be there on opening night, still be there seven years later, as it was for me recently with the Parramatta Girls. Like they're still part of the production and their ownership of it and their sort of identification with it is part of it. So for me, Toby, that's part of the definition. Now let's talk about the research that you did when writing Shafana and Aunt Serena. You spoke with Muslim women of all different ages and from a range of cultural backgrounds. What kind of questions did you ask them? Well, what happened was that I went to interview McKiz uh, and she was working for an organisation called Affinity and they have offices above this beautiful Turkish delight shop all blue and white ribbons in Auburn and it was a rainy night and I went upstairs and I spoke to McKiz and as we talked she said told me about her own experience of putting on the hijab and she um, said that her aunts had been her biggest opponents and I thought that that was just marvelous that she'd 
said that to me and also when I asked her if she thought I could speak to some of her aunts, she said, yes, I thought, oh, this is going to be amazing. In fact, I didn't speak to her aunt till much later. What I did was I went and then spoke to a whole lot of Arab um, Muslim women um, who lived in a housing community. They were in like in community housing and there were about oh, I don't know, 15 of them, very much older <laughs> Muslim women. And they were just marvellous. It was like going to a group of, you know, Aboriginal aunties or something. It was just this this group of large older women wanting to tell me everything about their lives, everything there about their experience. So really, Toby, I, I I ask an initial question about, you know, tell me about your life and they just take it from there, <laughs> really. Um, there is a point at which I sort of drill down and challenge them and once I feel like they've established a kind of rapport with me, I How do... How do you know that? Well, I don't know. You you know, watch any great journalist on television. They They know the moment to actually put the difficult question and there's, it's just always in the back of my mind that what I'm doing is letting them be who they are and say what they think. But at some point, I'm going to challenge them and make it tough for them because that's what that's what you you do as an interviewer. Yeah, I'm still interested to hear what directions this research led you in. So you started off with these conversations. How did you then go on from there? Well, I also spoke to. I always, in my verbatim writing, speak to kind of inverted commas experts in the field, people who've been working with Muslim women, people who have, you know, public opinions about that. They don't always end up in the play, but I I do talk to them and listen to what they have to say. Um, I... Uh, I, I suppose I just made myself a part of the community out at Auburn in any way that I, I could. I went to events that w- women would tell me about. I just find that the whole thing with research is not just about the interviews. It's about being available to be part of other things that uh, the people you're interviewing are doing. You just become sort of a- a- as available as you can to going to a man- as many events in the community that you can and get their trust because then you also will have, you know, casual conversations that don't necessarily end up on tape but that you also can draw from. I think that it's about your integrity. I think it's about going in with an idea of what you're looking for, being very honest with people about the fact that you're writing a play that will ask some tough questions and and kind of letting them know that along the way. Like you're not there to proselytise for the community. You're there as an artist. And an artist's job is to, I think, sometimes find the thing that the community knows about themselves, admits to themselves in a small way, but finds hard to necessarily talk about in a in a community way. So did you think you were walking a fine line with the subject matter of Shafana and Aunt Serena? Is that part of the attraction? You always are. You always are. One day I was walking down through Redfin thinking, okay, Alana, you've written a play about South and South supporters. If they don't like you, they're, <laughs> they're vocal about what they, what they think. You've written a play about Parramatta girls who also are not shy about being forthcoming with their opinions. And now you're writing um, a play about putting on the hijab and opposition to that. Well, I think that the most important thing is to to not think you can go in as a a flamethrower or a bomb dropper, if I can use that rather provocative metaphor in relation to this story. It, it's to do with, like I say, being sensitive about what are the things that they sort of already know need to be talked about. 
and presenting it with complexity as well, which is what I think you do here. I hope so. In all yeah. of your plays, actually. I hope so, yeah. Tell me, what are the most important things that we should know about Shafana? She's really smart. And one of the things that verbatim allows you to do is write characters with the kind of contradictions we see in real life that we don't always, well, hopefully we see in very good drama. So my Shafana uh, has gone, come to Australia via Pakistan um, and developed there a taste for Bollywood movies. So, you know, she's this this... Afghani Australian girl with a taste who loves Bollywood movies, which is kind of perverse and interesting. She also starts the whole play with this rather complex kind of metaphor about the undersea, which is you think, oh, is this the way young university educated woman speaks? Well, this is the way Shafana speaks because she is very, she's very complex and very very layered in her thinking and you know we don't always see characters like that so I suppose the most important thing for audiences or students who are studying the play to look at is is her fierce intelligence but her huge heart and that's what's um, troubling her in relation to to telling her aunt. I want to ask a question by starting with a reference to Christina Ho's introduction to the play called Creating Identity in a Hostile World. She says that one outcome of the post 9-11 era has been a generation of young Muslims who are particularly mobilized by their faith. Having grown up in the shadow of the war on terror, Islam has not been a neutral part of young Muslims' identities in the way that religion might be for others. Being Muslim is something they have had to constantly explain and defend, and therefore work out clearly for themselves. Do you see that as part of the reason that Shafana was drawn to Islam? Well, in fact, that was what young Muslim women told me when I interviewed them. They they said that 9-11 was an important moment for them to look at what the tenets of their faith were. I suppose it's like Australians who were, grew up as Christians or went to Sunday school abandoned that faith sometime in their early teens or mid-teens and then at some point might come back and say, well, what is it really about? How can I look at my faith through new eyes? And most of the women I interviewed were sort of Shafana's age, like at university. I particularly targeted those in my research. And they spoke about going back and rereading the primary source material, the text, the Quran. It was important for them to kind of get to know what what that was. So yeah, I do, I do think it's a it's an important part of anyone's identity to look at what is the version of your faith beyond what the religious leaders or, or the public commentators are saying. And that can be a profoundly exciting and liberating experience in any in any faith to kind of go back to the source and say, what is my relation to that? Alana, tell me about the soft revolution. Well, look, I'm no expert in um, contemporary Muslim politics or the politics of any particular country and you know as a playwright I don't feel like it's my job to be that but one of the things that one of the women spoke to me about was this notion of a soft revolution as opposed to you know a violent or hard or you know immediate revolution Uh, it's this kind of idea that you gradually get to know ways to 
create change. So it's what happens to all faiths, which are which are living things, and um, the believers themselves have different ways of understanding and expressing that. So it's about um, finding ways for liberal ideas within the faith to gain momentum and um, and change the faith itself. Mm. Yeah. The opening of the play, uh, the first line is Shafana's. She says, you get to an age and you've absorbed so much and observed so much that you think you know, basically, what the world has to offer. You've seen it all. The truly astonishing thing about what's coming next is that it's nothing like what this generation were like. It's utterly unfamiliar. But do you think that Shafana's choice to wear the headscarf is utterly unfamiliar? Or does it just feel unfamiliar to Shafana because it's the first time she's really thought about it? Well, I think it's a profoundly adolescent thing to say. You know, you think that you know everything, but guess what? I'm going to tell you something which you've never heard before. What's extraordinary about the statement is that in every generation, we do hear something both entirely new and utterly familiar from the next generation. And that's what's exciting about new writing and new playwrights and new artists. And that's what artists strive to do, to find some utterly unfamiliar but also deeply recognisable way of looking at our world differently. So, you know, that that's an amazing sort of paradox, I suppose, that you could say that always we're looking at something that's utterly unfamiliar. What excites us about life, though, is the idea that we could be completely changed and completely change the world. So Shafana's position is, you know, like I say, a very exciting early um, 20s sort of feeling that you have. I remember feeling like that. I still sometimes feel like that. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that for Serena, it is a more complex question. And is this a completely unfamiliar thing to her? Well, no. In fact, that's what informs the play, her awareness of that, that she actually, for her, Shafana putting on the headscarf is not simply an individual act, is not simply an act about her faith. It is loaded with these other sort of imperatives. And so I think that it isn't completely unfamiliar to her. But I also just feel that one of the most interesting things about the play is that, you know, we see a woman who is deeply and profoundly attached to her faith, who passionately believes that she can have that without wearing a headscarf. And I think that's what older audience members find really interesting, that she feels as a person of faith that she can define her relationship to God, that she can actually um, take a personal stand about what that is. It's also obviously a historical one because she didn't grow up in Afghanistan needing to wear that. But it, you know, it, it interests me the complexities and levels of that. And I guess I found it interesting because regardless of her own experiences, personal, cultural, historical, she still couldn't convince Shafana not to put on the headscarf. And that's because Shafana's on a different journey from her. And the play is really, I guess, about that eternal generational conundrum, which is that with all your experience and all your point of view, you can't necessarily stop someone from taking their own journey. And I think that's a profound and beautiful thing. When the play was in production, I often used to go and watch it and see the divide where it would actually divide not along religious lines, that is Christian and Muslim, it would divide along age lines. The young adults, no matter 
whether they <laughs> were non-Muslim or Muslim, wanted Shafana to put on the headscarf because she was on that journey of self-definition. The older audience members, almost to a person, wanted her to listen to the wisdom of of Serena and and think about what that was about. So that was really interesting to me that it's actually a generational question, not necessarily a religious one. Well, let's talk about Serena then. Tell me what are the most important things that we should know about her? Oh, well, like I just said, I, I think that she is profoundly a woman of faith. It was really interesting to me that in one of the question and answers after the play, uh, a young student, a man, he put up his hand and said, so what's the problem with the aunt? Does she just hate Muslims? And the actress, Camilla Akin, had to say to her, well, no, she is a Muslim. And not only she's not just a Muslim by hist- history or culture, she is deeply faithful and it's very important to her. So I suppose that's she's a profoundly religious woman. I think that she's a highly intelligent woman again. I mean, this is a woman who has taught herself to become a professor in another language. Now, that's just beyond my comprehension that someone could be so determined and so dedicated. Uh, I think that for Serena, she feels that you can be anything you want in the world. You can, as long as you work hard, uh, you can have everything you want and that you should try to have everything you want. Um, She values education very highly. She values her family very highly. Um, She's ambitious and she's... um, she, she's fun. I think she's a very fun person. She, you know, she knows the importance of of culture and and love. When I was reading it, I really got the sense that Serena sees faith as a personal and a cultural thing, a direct conversation with Allah. My faith is between me and God, she says. The Quran speaks directly to me, Serena, today. Serena also sees other clear separations between faith and the everyday world. There is faith and there is reason, she says. There is religion and there is civil society. There is belief and there is the law. Most importantly, though, for me, she does not see faith as an answer to all of the freedoms that she has struggled for. I love God with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my strength, and still I do not think that my faith can ever be the sole source of all knowledge. Tell me about how you imagined and then constructed Serena's understanding of her faith, because it's quite complex and in many ways unexpectedly so. Yeah, I suppose it's one of the things I'm really proudest of about this play. It is no small thing to try and write a um, sympathetic portrait of a person of faith. I feel like the theatre has fallen a little into kind of satirising people of faith and yet it is one of the great philosophical questions that we all face and the theatre should be a sacred and profound experience for us. We're all grown up. We don't need to keep making fun of religious belief to actually uh, object to it. You know, we don't need to be stuck in some sort of 60s or 70s rejection of, of everything to do with um, religious belief. We should interrogate it. We should look at it. So yes, I, I am I am really proud that with the assistance of these women and with their incredible candor and beauty that I've tried to portray people of faith in a, in a complex way. I think that 
faith is an exciting and unmined um, theatrical conundrum in lots of ways. And I like the way it makes people in the audience sort of uncomfortable. Ooh, we're going to talk about this without, you know, condemning people. Ooh, we're going to, you know, take this seriously as as a belief system. What is it about? She's still fearful, though, of the burden that Shafana will have to carry if she wears the headscarf. She tells her that she may find it harder to get a job. She'll have to have an opinion about everything to do with being a Muslim in Australia. You'll be making yourself a visible symbol, she tells Shafana, an endless advertisement that says, ask me, accuse me, as if you should be grateful to be tolerated. And Shafana says, I'm not grateful to be tolerated. I'm an Australian citizen. I don't have to ask to be tolerated. But I think Serena is probably right, unfortunately, and I'm really interested to hear what you learned about this burden and prejudice that Serena talks about. Yeah, I I think that Serena is speaking from fear. I think that she is speaking from a state of fear, but it is a perversely valid fear, you know, and I think that's what an audience hopefully ends up skewed on the horns of that dilemma, that they they know that we should go forward into a future not full of fear. And I think that things have changed a lot from 2009 to 2014. I think that it's probably, you know, not the same um, level of um, discrimination, maybe. Uh, I don't, again, I'd have to write another play and uh, go and speak to those women again. And if the play is reproduced, they could come along and tell us <laughs> in a Q&A. But look, I think that one of the things that people who are different, diverse in our community always have to deal with is that there are times where that tolerance or that kind of acceptance is 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 tested. And one of the things that I as a person learnt is that there's some point in which you have to draw the line. You can't always just be being nice. There's a, there's a moment politically where you draw the line and go, past that, I will not put up with discrimination. I will fight you on this. And that's gay people, that's Aboriginal people, that's all sorts of people who have fought for human rights. There's a moment where you have to draw the line in the sand and say, I will now fight for this. And if I don't stand for this, what do I stand for? Absolutely. And I think that what excited me about when I was doing these interviews is that young Muslim women understood that, understood that they they couldn't just um, have a quiet life if they wanted to be uh, take a visible stand about their identity. And, you know, that excited me because I've shared that journey and I understand that journey and it, it may be different for me what the identity is, but it's a similar realization that you have to stand up for who you are and what you believe in. And like I said, I always find that that very exciting. Makiz Ansari says in her introduction to the play that cultural differences are usually visible, yet inner quests may not be. Tell me, why did you choose to make this play about different inner quests being shared privately between two people rather than the broader cultural differences of a whole religious community? Well, I think the answer to your question is that it can be about both, but I, I keep insisting that the play is really about 
telling someone you love that you you are going to do something that they disagree with and that the cultural context of that is really just a kind of lens for me. Uh, it situates, situates us in, in our current um, Australia and yet the conundrum is hopefully universal and that as Australia changes, I mean, I really hope that the play is done in in 25 years or, you know, where we can look back and go, oh, remember those days when it was hard to be like that, you know, so that it actually does say something about where we are as a society, but that it has a, yeah, more universal sustain, I hope. And that journey that you were just talking about, telling someone that you love very, very much something that you are fearful will make them reject you. I guess that allows each person that comes to it to have a different kind of catharsis, doesn't it? Because there is a universality there. Oh, look, I hope so. I hope so. I I just think that, you know, the mistake people make with verbatim theatre is to think that the play is about the subject. You know, and I, I talk about this to students all the time. And anybody who directs this play as a kind of polemic, as an argument about whether you should put on the headscarf or not, has completely missed the point. You know, whether you should put on the headscarf or not is is not an argument you can have outside the context of, but who are you doing that for and, and what are the implications to the people around you? You know, for me, drama is about where you are situated in what context now. And that's why we have to have plays about today, because it is different today than 30 years ago. It is a different set of contexts. And so, you know, we want to be able to see a person in that. But in the end, um, it's the stakes in this play are whether Serena will reject Shafana or not. And and that's what I hope drives it. Tell me why she says they're going to be opponents. Unpack that for me. Yeah. Look, I love that. And at the end, um, it was what a woman said to me in an interview. She said, you know, that that in the end that they were on different sides of the fence in terms of where the future could go. And I loved it because, A, it's surprising. You think that they've made their peace with each other and just agreed to disagree. And yet that cultural context for the society suddenly changes everything right at the very end of the play. And I suppose I'm looking for why do people ultimately reject someone? Can't we always find a way to love each other? Can't we always find a way to accept each other? Well, no, we can't. And the play sort of leaves that as a sort of, um, yeah, as a provocative a provocative end. We can always find a way to love each other, but we can't always find a way to agree. And I think that's actually okay. Alana, thank you so much for talking to me about Shafana and Aunt Serena. Thank you, Toby. Thank you for listening to this episode of Not In Print. We hope you enjoyed hearing more about this great Australian play. You can find out more about who we are and view our full catalogue at currencypress.com.au. And if you have any comments or questions about this episode or any other episode, we'd love to hear from you. Just search for Currency Press on Facebook or Twitter and drop us a line. This episode was produced by Currency Press, with the generous assistance of the Department of Performance Studies and the School of Letters, Art and Media at the University of Sydney.